Welcome to this week's Rashi Shear, brought to you from the Bet Midrash of Mizrahi in Melbourne, Australia. So, good evening, and we resume with Perak Lamad Bet Pasuk Yud Alas. And the story so far is that Yaakov is in the process of davening to Hashem to protect him from Esau, whom he hasn't seen for 20 years, and he's worried that Esau is a little bit peeved over the whole bracha incident. And Esau is coming, apparently, his messages tell him with 400 men, so he is nervous. So Pasuk Yud said, Vayoma Yaakov eloke avi Avraham, Yaakov said, God of my father Abraham, avi Yitzchak, and the God of my father Yitzchak, Hashem ha'omer Eli, who said to me, Shuv return to your land, your birthplace, and I will do good with you. And Rashi um, very cleverly sorted out the sort of the, the oddities and the repetition of that passage by showing that Yaakov was referring back to two particular occasions where Hashem uh, appeared to him and offered to look after him, once when he was leaving Eretz Yisrael in the first place, and once when he was on his way back. Now we come to Yud Aleph, where Yaakov continues, and he says, Katanti, I have become small, mikol ha-chasidim mikol ha-emet, and I'll translate literally, and then Rashi will help us, from all the kindnesses and all the truth, asher asita et avdecha, with which you have done to your servant, key because the makli with my stick, avarti et yarden hazer, I crossed this yarden, va'ata and now hayite l'shnei machanot. I am or I have become two camps, referring to the fact that he's got enough children and wealth and livestock to separate into two camps. So, what does Rashi have to say? So this is a hard verse. Um, it's hard to make sense of it. Um, and you identify the problems? I'll be a little bit interactive, like a teacher, because that's what I do. What's the staff got to do with anything? What's the staff got to do with anything? The stick? That's one part of the question. What does it mean I've become small? And there's a problem with the mem. I'll, I'll go straight into it, because Rashi's going to help us very quickly. I have, it literally looks like I have become small, or compared to smaller than all the Hasidim. Because uh, katan mi hasidim would normally be translated as smaller. The mem makes it comparative. So how have I become smaller mikola hasidim? So Rashi says katanti mikola hasidim nitmaatu zechuyatai al yedei hachasidim veheemet shaasita imadi nitmaatu zechuyatai. It's not I have become small. My merits have become small. So that's the first thing Rashi does. He takes it away because Yaakov is the same size as Yaakov was before. He's probably quite tall because he's very strong, we know. So he hasn't reduced in size. Um, and it's hard to say that there's any aspect directly of him that has become small. So, nitma'atu zuchuyotai, says Rashi. It's my merits that have been reduced. Like I'm running out of merits. And then he says, al yedei ha-chasodim ha-emet. Where does al yedei come from? It's Rashi's translation for me, for the mem. If you look carefully, Rashi sometimes does this. He just 
takes the same words, repeats them, but changes little bits. So katanti has been replaced by nitma'atu zuchuyatai, and mikol has been replaced by aliyadei. So this mem is not a mem of comparison. It's a mem of siba, of reason, of what, of cause. So I have become small because of, now this isn't Rashi changing the meaning of the words, it's using an alternative meaning of the word. And we've seen before, there are examples where the mem means because of. So that's why katanti means my merits have become small because of all the chasodim v'he'emet she'asita imadi. Continues Rashi. Lekach ani yore. And therefore I am afraid. Shema Misha Hivtahtani, perhaps since you promised me, Nitkalkalti Bachet, I have become spoiled by sin, by Yigram Li, and that he has caused me, Lihimaser Biyad Esau, to be handed over to the hand of Esau. Now that second part from Lakach and Yorem, the word Lakach is, is interesting. Um, because it helps us to relate Pasigudala to Pasigudet. Sorry, to Pasigud. In Yud, um, the way Rashi explains it, Hash uh, Yaakov remembers that Hashem has promised Yaakov that Hashem will look after him. Now, even if we didn't have Yud, we should know that because we're familiar with the Chumash. And we should have a huge question on, actually, the question would have arisen um, in Pasuk Chet. What did Pasuk Chet say? Yaakov was very afraid. And Rashi says that means he was afraid he'd be killed. And the apostle goes on to say and he was troubled. Says Rashi, he's troubled, but he might have to kill someone else. Now, we should have a huge question on this. And the huge question is, Hashem promised Yaakov that Hashem would look after him in the dream. At the, the ladder, the ladder dream, Hashem appears at the top of the ladder and says, I will look after you and I will bring you back here. So how can Yaakov have anything to be afraid of? That's a huge sort of theological as well as textual question. Is Yaakov doubting the, 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 the uh, action of, of Hashem's bracha? Is he doubting the strength and the permanence of Hashem's bracha? Surely not. So Rashi gives the answer here. Now, I, I have a question. I think a lot of people have this question, actually, why Rashi didn't give that answer earlier. But I haven't got an answer for that. But here he says, Shema Mishihivtahtani Nitkalkalti Since Maybe since you made the promise, I have become spoiled. Um, I've become damaged, if you like, through sin. Because I have sinned, I'm only a human being, I might have done some things wrong. Uh, I don't know if he means, you know, I um, didn't daven with full kavana one morning, or there's a particular sin that he has been doing, these two sins that he has been doing that we know about. The wives. The wives, the, why is the wives a sin? Because they're sisters. Two of them are sisters, maybe even Rashi said the four of them are sisters, half sisters. Uh, somebody else he has failed to do, two things you might say he's failed to do. One is kibbut avayim, because he's been away for a long time, perhaps longer than he needed to be, away from his parents. And here we are in Mizrahi. That's a clue. What else has he failed to do for the last 20 years? Live in Eretz Israel. So there's all sorts of things. 
that he might feel are sinful. Or maybe he just means, you know, I'm, I'm only human. I'm sure I've done something wrong. But here's the point. So that explains how he could doubt Hashem's promise or why he could feel that even though Hashem promised that Hashem would look after him, he still needs to daven and he's still afraid. So this Rashi um, particularly links Yud Aleph with Yud and perhaps even with what before when he says, Lakach ani Here's the Kiddush, that there, I have a finite amount of merit and I'm worried that that my merits have been reduced and they might run out. And maybe all of the merits I've got left in the tank is not enough to be protected from Esau. Okay, so it's not that Yaakov has become small, like we usually read the verse, but rather that Yaakov is saying that his merits have been used up. Um, I know I always say this is just a rushy share and I don't bring other proportion, but there's a beautiful thought that I have to say that the Gemara, I think, says, that, um, well, let's go back. The Rambam says in terms of the golden mean, we should always be in the middle of all midot uh, with two exceptions. One is anger and the other is pride. On those, you should be at the very, very minimal extreme. Um, and the Gemara says, how much um, pride should a Talmud Hakam have? I think that's what the Gemara says. An eighth of an eighth, which is like a 64th, which is very little. So just a teeny smattering of pride. So I heard in the name of the Vilna Gern that when it says an eighth of an eighth, it means the eighth verse of the eighth cetera. Now, by Yishlak is the eighth cetera. The eighth verse begins, Katanti, I have become small. So that's an eighth of an eighth of pride. Yes, cute, yeah, okay. <laughs> um, Rashi carries on, umikol ha-emet, says Rashi, amitat devarecha, the truth of your words, sheshamarta li kol ha-haftachot shehivtachtani, that you said to me with words, all the promises that you promised me. What's the problem? So if you look at the Pasuk carefully, he's saying, I've got lots of good things from you. So many good things that I'm wired and ran out of merit. What are the good things? Two things. Kol ha-chasodim and kol ha-emet. Now, if you extract out of the Pasuk, do you recognize the pair chesed and emet? Where do you find chesed and emet? Exactly. God's attributes. And which one, which one do you feel comfortable with? And which one perhaps less comfortable with? Exactly. And emet is a harsher one. And chesed and emet are like parallel to um, yira and ahab, or ahab and yira. Um, uh, Hashem gives us chesed but we're always a bit scared of the emet. Emet is din. Emet is um, fierce judgment. Emet is we have to be truthful before Hashem and he's truthful and he knows the truth and we can't uh, pull the wool over anybody's eyes. So chesed we love. Chesed is really nice. Thank you, Brian Hashem, for all the chesed. Truth, not so sure. However, Yaakov is using both of them clearly as very positive things that Hashem has given him. He, Hashem has given me lots of chesed. That's great. Hashem has given me kol ha-emet, that's great. And as a result of all these things you've given me, all this chesed and all this emet, I have, maybe my merits have become small. So what is emet that is positive, that is not scary? Ah, that's what Rashi is answering. Mikol ha-emet, amitat davarecha. The truth of your words. All the promises that you said 
said is important because it means words, the truth of your words. So the emet is a reference to all the lovely promises that Hashem gave him to look after him. So he's shown how emet is something nice. Sorry for these sort of crude childish expressions, but you get the idea that emet is something nice as opposed to normally emet, particularly in relation to chesed, is not so good. And then Rashi says, Okay, let's just look at the passage again. So, I'm become, my merits have become small because of all the kindness and all the truth which you've done to your servant. Key, because the makli, with my stick, my staff, I crossed this yaradein. And now I've become two machanot. Now, sounds like I've now become um, populous. I've now got lots of stuff. And before, how does one actually sort of relate to another? How does one lead on to the other? So Rashi brings two explanations. He says, There was not with me, not money uh, or silver, not gold, not cattle, not uh, only or not possessions, um, a, just this stick alone. And then he says, Umem Aleph, which probably it has in most books, stands for Midrash Agada. The Midrash says, Natan Maklo Bayardain, Benivka Ayardain. He put his stick in the Yardain, and the Yardain split. A precursor of how the Yamsuf split for the Jews, the Yardain split for the Jews when Yahushua came into Eretz Israel. Sounds like, well, the Midrash says that Yaakov, on his way out of Eretz Israel, he put his stick into the Yaradain and the Yaradain split. So that would explain nicely, even though it's Midrash, it fits the words very well when he says, The vet of Bermakli is with or through the agency of. So at least the Midrash. So we've got two answers here. We're going to see how they both fit and don't fit, which is why we need two of them. But one thing going for the Midrash, even though it's Midrashic, it's like a little bit uh, away from Peshat. That's what Midrash usually means. In a sense, it fits Peshat well, because it explains the words, through the agency of this stick, I cross the Yaradain. But let's work a little bit harder. Um, uh, what might the first answer, uh, right, the second answer is more Midrashic sticks splitting seas splitting rivers it's it's a little bit out of our comfort zone it's a little bit out of shut although as i've shown you it, it does actually fit the words quite well what perhaps is better and fits another thing in the plastic is the first explanation i didn't have very much originally i only had a stick and now i have machanot. so the first explanation explains the whole plastic very nicely I have gone from stick with which I crossed the Yaradain to have, i.e. only a stick, as Rashi says. Now I've got lots of stuff. Slight problem. Uh, you might think it's a sort of technical problem. Rashi's told us why he arrived in, arrived in Haran penniless. Anyone remember? Esau sent his son to kill him. Ah, very good. Esau sent his son to kill him. Who was that? Eliphaz. And Yaakov said... It is if you kill me, because Oni Kames, a poor person is like a dead person. So presumably they sat down, they have a Chevrusa, they learned the Gemara, 
and they realize that I is not really dead, but he's halakhically dead, and that's good enough. Where did that take place? Well, we don't know exactly, but that's the problem. There's no suggestion that it took place at the river. And therefore, um, you might say, and some say, but the problem with the first, remember, why am I going about this problem? Because we've got two answers. So we always try, if we can, to find a deficiency in one and a deficiency in the other. So it could be that the deficiency in the first answer is the being penniless was nothing to do with crossing the Arbon. He was penniless soon after he left his parents' house from Beersheba. Now, by the way, I'm not quite sure of the geography of how it works. He crossed the Arbon because we know he went from Beersheba north to Yerushalayim. That's where he had the dream. Um, Haran is in Syria. So somewhere he goes north, he goes around the Fertile Crescent. Um, so presumably he crossed the Yardin quite far north, sort of towards the source of the Yardin, you know, in the Ampinerit area. Which I, I say, I mean, I don't think we can be so, we, I don't think we can necessarily bring geography to question Rashi, but I think it, it sort of helps us understand that the meeting with Eliphaz, which, which Rashi says happened, right? So Rashi is entitled to be relying on that, happened long way before he got to the Arabian. The, um, and that might be the deficiency in the first answer. The deficiency, the, the, and that's made up in the second answer, which particularly relates the makal, the stick, to the Yardin and explains with this stick, I crossed the Yardin because as they threw the agency of the stick, I crossed the Yardin. What's the problem with the second explanation? What's the problem with the stick crossing the Yardin? Why doesn't it fit in with the Pasuk? Why is the key then? Sorry? Why the key then? Meaning it doesn't fit with the rest of the puzzle that puts in as a because yes. of the Makel. Ah, very good. I was going to say it doesn't fit in with the Biata, but it's basically the same point. Because you're saying it doesn't fit with the key. Key, but Makli Avartia, the Arden Azer, I've become small um, from all the merits you've given me. My merits have become small because of all the things you've given me because I crossed the Arden by putting my stick in it. And now I'm two camps. Doesn't make it doesn't really fit oh, at all. Yeah, okay. In which case, then I'll stick to what I said. But the real problem is that <laughs> look, I crossed the Yardin with my stick, and now I am two camps. Now, for the first explanation, that works very nicely. I crossed the Yardin with nothing but a stick, and now I've got all this stuff. But for the second explanation, it doesn't follow at all. Because look at this great miracle. I crossed the Yardin by sticking my stick in it, and now I've got lots of stuff. There's no connection between one and the other. So really, I think the problem is possibly the key, um, but certainly with the Atta, because the Atta, the Atta, and now contrasts Kiva Makli, Avarati at Yaradeh with Hayiti Lishnei Machanot. And according to the second explanation, there's really no connection between one and the other, and there's no progress from one to the other. So next verse says, continuing Yaakov's prayer, Hatsileni na miyad achi, miyad esav. Save me, please, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esav. Ki yare anochi, because I am afraid. Sorry, Oto, I fear him. Pen yavob hikani aim al banim. Lest he come and smite me, literally mother on children. Now, Rashi doesn't have anything to say about that last phrase, so we can't uh, refer to Rashi. But it sounds like it, it's an expression for like total destruction, killing the mothers together with the children so there can be no future. There'll be no more children because the children are smitten and there'll be no more mothers to produce more children. It, it's, it's devastation. Isn't that also the same language used um, 
were in terms of not killing the mother, like shechting the mother animal or the baby animal? Yes, I think it is. Yes. So what we can't do with shechting mother birds with their uh, with their young um, is the same idea here. Yes. Okay, but what Rashi does say is on the opening words or the nearly opening words. Miyad achi miyad esav. Says Rashi. Miyad achi. From the hand of my brother, who is not behaving with me like a brother, but rather like Esav the Russia. Now, last week we saw, I think it was last week, that Yaakov um, talked about Esav and Ach in the same, oh no, it was the messengers in Pasuk Zion. Uh, but before we do that, the, the one where Rashi doesn't comment is Dalad. So let's look at Dalad, and we won't look at the Rashi because there's nothing to say. Yaakov sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, to the land of Seir, the field of Edom. Now, you might say, Esau is his brother, his brother is Esau, why does it need to say both? Now, Rashi doesn't say anything about that. Bear that in mind. Then, uh, the messengers return in Pasuk Zion. The messengers returned to Yaakov saying, We came to your brother to Esav. And Rashi says there, This is the messengers talking back to Yaakov. You said, He's my brother. But he's behaving like Esau, the wicked Esau, who likes to come and kill people with 400 men. So in Zion, Banu El Achicha El Esau is, Rashi says, there's an extra phraseology there which needs explaining, and it's explaining there's a contrast between El Achicha and El Esau. You sent us El Achicha, you said, go and meet my brother who's going to be all fraternal. But in fact, you sent us El Esau. Now, we talked last week about why Rashi doesn't say anything in Dalit and Rashi does say something in Zion. And perhaps the answer is, well, one simple answer is um, that when Esau is first referred to uh, by Yaakov to the messengers, he says it's not really redundancy to say Esau Achir. People do talk about so-and-so, my brother, uh, and perhaps he wants to point out whom they're going to, um, so uh, which Aesop, all the Aesop's in the world, is my brother Aesop. So perhaps you could argue in a very simple way, there's no extra words in the Pasuk. But more than that, there's a clear difference between the structure in Dalad and the structure in Zion. What's the difference? Benji, you were here last week. What's it got in Zion? It's El Achicha El Aesop. It's not El Aesop Achicha, which would have sort of matched Dalad. It's El Achicha El Aesop. And it's the repetition of El, and it clearly could have been said in a, in a much simpler way, could have been El Achicha, or could have been El Esau, or it could have been El Esau Achicha. But it would seem to be that Rashi notices there's this El, El, as if there's two separate things. And he uses them to contrast El Achicha with El Esau, that they turn out to be different. Now, after all that, let us come to our verse, which is your bet. And what do we find? Miyad achi miyad esav. Same thing. 
the rep same repetition. Um, he could have said, Miyad Achi Esav, but he didn't. He said, Miyad Achi, Miyad Esav, clearly setting up there's two things going on. Save me from the hand of my brother and also save me from the hand of Esav. And just like we saw in Zion, the way Rashi uh, sort of uh, fleshes this out is a comparison that Miyad Achi is not like Miyad Esav, just like the messenger said, El Achi, El Achicha is not like El Esav. So that's why, and Rashi here says, It should be like from the hand of my brother, but it isn't. It's actually from the hand of Esau. So really, Rashi would translate that as, save me, please, from what should be the hand of my brother, but is actually Miyad Esau. Pasuk Yud Gimel. I was thinking that we've Good had, thinking is good. We've, just, we've had a lot of like weird not weird, but like the word Ach being used in like weird context oh, recently. Good. And I was trying to find the one with like the girl, um, but I can't find the exact puzzle that we looked at a few weeks ago. And we also say, well, what does Ach mean? Because we're referring to his sons. And then how are we talking about his son, Yaakov's sons, is Ach, and we spoke about it also a few weeks before that again. And there's just been a lot of like the word Ach being used in like. Yes, very good. Um, sort of Meanings that Rashi's felt the need to explain because they Okay, that was the key one. And I, I waxed lyrically on that Rashi. So <laughs> earlier we'd seen Echav um, in the assembled uh, party and Rashi didn't say anything. And I suggested that in Mem, uh, whatever, Mem Vav, he's asking these people called Echav to carry big stones and set up this gull, this pile of stones. So he can't ask just general passers-by to do that. It must be his children. So Rashi says, I'm not saying that's why Rashi says, but I think it might be why Rashi says, Heim banim. And then he says, Shahayulo achim, they were brothers, nigashim elav letzara ulamilchama. And I, I wax lyrically, I think Rashi's saying, that's, that's what brotherhood means. People who stand by you in trouble and war. Okay. Um, and that fits very nicely with what we're saying here, that Aesop should be my brother. He should be standing by me in times of trouble and war, not causing the war. So he's clearly contrasting the behavior of a brother with the behavior of Aesop. And I would suggest that fits nicely with what we said in Lamad Aleph Membo. Yes. I also suggest that Rashi has a nice progression in the fact that the first time in Dalet, he doesn't comment as if that's what Yaakov wants. And then once the messengers come back and tell him he's not acting as your brother, he turns to God and say, now that Ah, very nice. So Rashi. So I think it's in the in the words as well, the LL and the Miyad Miyad. But you're right. He says to the messengers, go and meet my brother Aesop, my old mate. And then the so the key one is Zion, when the messengers come back and say, No, he's not like your brother, he's like Aesop. And so now that becomes the established fact with which Yaakov then doubles. Beautiful. Thank you very much. Okay. Um so we're up to Yud Gimel. So Yaakov is still speaking to Hashem. And he says, You said, Now, uh, classical Hebrew boffins here. What's that an example of? Yes, we can be a bit more precise. Infinitive absolute. So maybe you've got a Hebrew term for it. Okay. So, um, a very common um, phraseology. 
Shemoa Tishma'u. Tishma'u is you will listen. Shemoa is what's called in the English names for the Hebrew grammar, the infinitive absolute. And it often comes together with the regular verb parenthesis. And perhaps probably the most well-known, the one that comes up in certain parashia over and over again is Moti Mut. Somebody who transgresses will surely die. And I've always been puzzled, what's the difference between dying and surely dying? I think the effect is the same. Um, so there are some Mephoshim who say, this is the way the Torah speaks. Don't get excited about Rashi, not always, but usually is not satisfied with that. And Rashi, if he sees this um, grammatical construction, will say there's a reason for the duplication. So um, let's, uh, I've gone too far. Let's finish the verse and then we'll see Rashi. And you said, um, I will do good, doubled, with you. And I will place your descendants like the sand of the sea, that cannot be counted because of the multitude. So says Rashi on the doubling of Hetiv Etiv, Hetiv Besuchutacha, I will, he, he will do good because of your merit, Etiv Besuchut Avotercha. I will do good because of the merit of your fathers. So Yaakov is coming with two sets of merit. Who else comes with two sets of merit? Every one of us. We always have our own merit, hopefully, and we have Zuchut Avot on which to also draw. The opening words of the Amida that we say every day, successively, repeatedly is, Baruch HaTashem, Elokeinu ve'elokei avoteinu. You are our God, and you're also the God of our fathers. It's not referring explicitly to Zuchut, but it probably includes an idea of Zuchut from us and Zuchut from our fathers. And in fact, um, the Elokeinu Velokei Avoteinu is, is, I think, you know, really very much, a, you can establish them as the two foci of so much of what we have in, in our connection to Hashem. It's dependent on our behavior and our efforts to make that connection, but it's never separated from those who've gone before us. So we're always connecting to Elokeinu Velokei Avoteinu. But notice, by the way, the order. We say in the Amida, first of all, we connect to Hashem ourselves, and then we rely on the connection that our parents have, our parents and our ancestors. Rashi puts the same order here. First of all, says Hashem, says Yaakov, quoting Hashem, as it were, as explained by Rashi, I will do good, or literally, he will do good, for, because of your merit, so Yaakov's merit first. And then there's also, if you like, the way I see it is the backup. The backup merit is the Zchutavotecha. So Rashi is not satisfied by just saying, oh, it's an infinitive absolute, move on. But Rashi seems to need, sees the need to find two things that it refers to because of the double verb. Um, and then, Rashi continues with the next bit. Now, um, notice the beginning of Yud Gimel says, you said. Now, it's a basic principle of Rashi that if the Torah says you said something, then it was said earlier and you have to find it. Um, when, uh, when the Bnei Israel say, we said to you, leave us in Mitzrayim, Rashi has to find where they said it. Um, the Ramban for instance, is more relaxed to say, well, the Torah said it said, 
So it must be somewhere there, even if it's not explicit. Um, I'm, I'm generalizing and perhaps caricaturing, which I shouldn't do for the words of the Ramban. Rashi will generally, if it says, amarta, you said, Rashi will say, well, here, uh, Rashi asked the following question. Back to Rashi. After Vasamti at Zarachaka Chol Hayam, Vahechan Amarlo came. Where did he say this to him? Yaakov, it said, you, Hashem, said to me something about the sand of the sea. Where, says Rashi. And the reason Rashi is uh, bothered is because of what he says now. Vahalo, behold, lo Amarlo, Ela Vahaya Zarachaka Afar Haaretz. He only said, that the, your, your seed will be like the, the dust of the earth. By the way, we're probably quite familiar with the idea that the Avot were promised that he, they'd have children like the stars in the sky, the dust of the earth, and the sand of the sea, and they're all a little bit different. Would you prefer to be stars or dust or sand? Probably stars. Stars is like, that's good. Bit what? Bit warm. Yeah, maybe there are cool stars. Towards, yeah, the cool, towards the blue ones. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, okay. Um, it's interesting that these different uh, promises, which obviously will sort of match up, and they all mean that your descendants will be uncountable, but there is some difference between them. Now, Yaakov has quoted the one about the sand by the sea. And Rashi has pointed out that, that was never said to um, Yaakov. When he was given the promise at the ladder, the promise was your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. So that is Rashi's problem. Rashi spells out the problem for us. We don't have to work hard to see what it is. But Amarta, you said, and yet you didn't. So Rashi's answer is as follows. Ela, but Amarlo, Amarlo, he said to him, Amarle in Aramaic, Kilo Zavcha, I will not leave you. Ad asher imasiti et asher dibarti lach. That is uh, what Hashem said at the ladder. I will not leave you. Ad asher imasiti until I have done et asher dibarti lach. What I have done, or sorry, what I have said. I just try and say it lach. I just try and say it lach. That's you. Ah, excellent. Okay, so. Sorry, um, I won't name you because it's on the podcast, so I won't embarrass you. But, but the person here on one side of me said to you, which was exactly what I thought you'd say. And it's how we normally translate it. But Rashi makes the point in a few places. For instance, Kavchet Tet Vav of Breshit, and there are others as well. If, if Lacha comes after Diber, it doesn't mean spoke to you. It means spoke about you. And now it all makes sense. So Hashem, uh, Rashi doesn't spell that point out here, but it's clearly what Rashi uh, is taking as a given. Dibarti lach means I spoke about you. So Hashem said to Yaakov at the dream of the ladder, I will not leave you ad asher imasiti et asher dibarti lach until I fulfilled everything that I said about you. Not to you, because I didn't say it to you, but I said it about you. Now, when did he say it about you? Continues Rashi. Ula Avraham Amar. To Avraham, Hashem said, Baharbe Arbe, double verb again, Et Zaracha Kochve Hashemayim, Ukechol Asher Al Safat Hayam. To Avraham, he said, Hashem said, 
I will multiply your descendants like the stars of the heaven and like the dust, sorry, the uh, sand at the seashore. And obviously, if he's going to give Abraham all those children, through, through whom is those children going to, are those children going to come? Through Yaakov. So by saying to Abraham, I'm going to give you, Abraham, lots of descendants, he's actually also talking about Yitzchak and Yaakov. So when Hashem said, um, I'm not going to leave you until I've done what I said about you, that was the promise given to Abraham that refers to Yaakov, amongst others, but their descendants will be like the sand on the shore of the sea. And therefore, Yaakov obviously knows his Chumash. And Yaakov knows what, bracha, what promises were made to his grandfather, Abraham, can say to Hashem, Ata amarta, you said that my descendants would be like the sand on the shore. That is Rashi. Yud Dalat. Vayalen sham alayla hahu. Vayakach min haba viyado mincha laesav achiv. So Vayalen, he spent the night, sham there, alayla hahu on that night, and he took min haba viyado, literally from what comes or came in his hand, mincha laesav achiv, as a present to Esav, his brother. Now, we have to look at the next verse because that tells us what the present was. Tedvav. Izim mataim utiyashim esrim, rachelim mataim, ve'elim esrim, and then he goes on, gamalim minikot, uvnehem, shloshim parot, arveim uparim asara atonot esrim, vayarim asara. Lots and lots and lots of animals. Uh, Pasuk Tetvav, by the way, is interesting. Good trivia question. Which verse in the Bible has every word ending in a mem? It's that one. <laughs> That's fun. Right. <laughs> That's uh, very... Um, Rabbi Bro. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> absolutely. Um, so the present referred to in Yudalad, he took from what came in his hand as a present for Esau, turns out to be lots and lots of animals. So now Rashi needs to explain It's an idiomatic phrase. What does it mean? Says Rashi, in his possession. And we have a similar example. Sichon, before the Jews came, took all the land of, I forget where, but he took the land from uh, took his land, somebody else's land, miyado, from his hand. Now, what's the problem with miyado? The problem is, how do you fit all these animals in your hand? Yaakov took from his hand all these animals? Ah, hand also means reshut. It means possession. And we see from that pasuk in Bemidbar that it must mean possession, because what, what was in his hand? Land. You can't have land in your hand, but you can have land in your possession. So, by the way, this doesn't mean it doesn't mean hand. What this means is this is an alternative meaning of biyodo. Biyodo can mean in your hand physically, or it can mean in your possession. They are both translations of biyodo. Now, obviously, the more natural one is the more literal one. Uh, liter literary is not the same as pshat. Um, the literal one is some reference to hand in a physical sense, but Rashi, since it's not the most literal, wants to tell you the pshat in this case is that biyado means the rishut. 
And the Pasuk in Nehemiahu, sorry, sorry, in, in, uh, in Bamidbar, proves that miado can mean from your, uh, from your authority, sorry, your um, possession, because land can't be physically in your hand. But then he says, umidrash acher, there's a midrash explanation that says, or oh, sorry, midrash agada, min avanim tovot umar goliot, precious stones and jewels, Sha'adam sar bitzror, that a person wraps up in a bundle, and carries them in his hand. So this is a very, very nice example of shut versus literal meaning. And how sometimes we get confused between those two comments. The reason I, I, can, I often make this point is because I heard it directly from the Hamalevitz, Zechazari Ravracha. And uh, I was very privileged to hear to share him from her. And I remember her talking about this very point. We all talk about Pshat and Drash, and Pshat is often translated as the literal meaning of the word. Um, but it's not. Literal meaning in Hebrew is Mamashut. Oh, sorry, Mashmaut, not Mamashut. I've got Mamashut on the brain, because I'll tell you why in a minute. It's Mashmaut. That's the literal meaning. Pshat is the simple meaning. So what is the simple meaning of Biado in this case? It's not the literal meaning. The literal meaning is in his hand. The simple meaning is in his authority in his possession. The second explanation, which is called the Midrashic one, has the idea of hand, meaning hand. If he's talking about the present was precious stones and jewels, which can be wrapped up and held in one's hand, then the word biado means hand, as in the hand that I'm pointing to. Those listening on the podcast can't see, but I'm pointing to the hand every time. So, shat is the non-literal interpretation of the word yad, Midrash is the more literal, is the, is the literal interpretation, but it's the Midrash, sort of counterintuitive. And, and there's quite a few examples like this in Rashi. Um, by the way, Rashi says the same thing um, about Eliezer, that all Abraham's wealth was biado in his hand. Um, and Rashi says there it was either that it's in his authority, in his possession, um, or that Abraham gave a star, gave a document, uh, attesting that all his wealth was handed over to Yitzhak and the document was in his hand. Um, same, same sort of tension between hand literally and hand authority. Um, there is a problem, however, with the second explanation, which is perhaps why Rashi relegates it. Uh, and uh, clearly it's not his only explanation. The problem is, and this is why I showed you the next verse. What's the problem? What's the present in Tetvav? You can't fit all those things in, the, in your hand. No, that's the problem with the first explanation. That's why, sorry, that's why. But the second explanation was he put in his hand precious stones. Oh, sorry. So how does the Tetvav relate to, is that the part of the tribute? Not... Yeah, exactly. Well, the, the Tetvav says the present was goats and sheep, etc. Well, there's no precious stones. Ah, but you can answer it by saying it's as if there's a Vav at the beginning of Tetvav which the Torah sometimes puts in vavs for no reason and takes out vavs for no, uh, uh, no reason, not the right thing to say. It's we read them as if they're not there and sometimes read them as if they are there. So it could be that Yudalad refers, as the second explanation of Rashi, to precious stones. That was part of the present. And Tetvav should be read as the izim and lots of goats, etc. However, that is a bit forced because there isn't a vav there. So the second explanation sort of works because you can imagine he gives him precious stones and goats, but the first explanation is perhaps better because it doesn't say precious stones and goats, it just says goats. 
and therefore biado means Bushuto. Now, there is another explanation in Rashi, which probably is in brackets in most Svarim, or maybe not even there. Um, it is in some, one of the, I, I checked today, it is in one of the um, original manuscripts of Rashi. There are basically three that we always look at. It's in one, but not in the other two. Um, and it's also, it's a little bit hard to imagine what it is there because we've covered two explanations already. And then to say, another thing, it's a bit hard. But anyway, let's just look at it. Min um, habab from what comes in his hand, min hachulin, shenatal maaser. What he, um, he'd already taken maaser, and he's talking about maaser behema. How does maaser behema work? That every year, a, a livestock farmer has to put all of his livestock that were born in the previous year through a little gate, uh, and then in which way he counts them. First one, second one, third one, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Number ten, he like paints with a little bit of paint so he can recognize them afterwards, and they become Maaseh Behema, and they are taken to Yerushalayim and eaten in Yerushalayim. Um, so, um, Yaakov, it might be a little bit um, anachronistic because he's talking about a mitzvah in the Torah and before the Torah is given, but we also know we have a tradition that the Avot kept the Torah, um, at least the ones perhaps uh, the problem with two wives, but mostly kept the Torah. Yaakov himself, according to a text which probably isn't originally Rashi, says, in love and garati, shamarati. I stayed with love and I kept all the mitzvah. So it's not unreasonable to suggest that he kept the mitzvah um, and that he kept the mitzvah of Masa Behema. And so says Rashi, if it is Rashi, uh, in another explanation, min Chulin as in it's already been tithed. So what we've got left is the now tithed uh, livestock. Kamada'at Omar Aser Aserena Lach. And Rashi, or this text of Rashi, relates it back to what Yaakov said at the ladder. He said to Hashem, if you look after me, I will uh, come back and I will govern at this place. And everything that I get, I will take Maser from. And there's many ways of understanding how he did that. Um, um, if somehow you count 10 sons, I'm not sure how you do that, because obviously he had 12. And then Levi is one of them who's like set aside for Rodas Hashem. Um, and there are other ways of explaining that Yaakov fulfilled this promise of tithing, taking Masa from his stuff. And Rashi, this Rashi makes it works out very nicely that he tithed the animals. After all, the animals was his wealth. We've seen in a few places that he got all these animals um, through his good fortune and Seattle Deshmaya in Lavan's house. So the animals are his wealth. He tithes the animals. He fulfills Hashem, his promise to Hashem of Aser Asarena Lach. Vahadar Lakach Mincha. And then he went back and took the present from the tithed produce. Now, what might Rashi be explaining? He might be explaining Min Haba Viado. Now, everything we've said up to before, and I went on and on about hand, is it literally hand or is it a uh, Rashut, that explained the word biyado. It wasn't so good about explaining the word haba. What does it mean, haba biyado? Why can't I just say kusha biyado, or what was in his hand? So maybe that's why, if this is Rashi, which it probably isn't, but that's why we need this third explanation. It came into his hand, and having come into his hand, he then fixed it by taking Masa, and now he's able to take it out of his hand and send it on to um, 
uh, Esau. Babiado sounds like it's something relevant that it came into his hand. There was a process, stayed in his hand at some stage, and then is now ready to go. What would that process be? So this Rashi suggests that that process is taking Maaseh Bahama. Um, incidentally, um, did I write down where the Gemara is? No, I didn't. But the halacha is that if you are, uh, if you have lots of animals and you're giving them as a present, the donor doesn't have to take Maaseh, but the recipient does. So why didn't Yaakov do that? Why didn't Yaakov say, I don't have to take Masa. I'll give it all to Aesop and he'll have to he'll take Masa. Because he probably knows that Aesop's not really a Masa taker. Even though, it just occurs to me, maybe I'm building too much here on shaky foundations. Um, at the beginning of Toldot, Rashi said that Aesop tried to trick his father in thinking that Aesop, making Yaakov, sorry, Yitzchak think that Aesop was super from, because he asked him really clever questions like, Salt Very good. Or straw. excellent. How do you take maaser from uh, salt and from straw? So it's just interesting, and I don't. Uh, it just occurred to me that Aesop is the one who talks uh, the good talk about taking maaser, and according to this Russia, Yaakov is the one who actually does. Okay. Um, I'm just looking at the clock, and we have a few minutes left. But we have a long Rashi yet to come. That's a question on the previous puzzle. Yes, so maybe that'll answer my <laughs> dilemma. Um, what's the first part of the puzzle? Why is that relevant to the rest of the puzzle in terms of about the mincha? Or is there a link? Or I haven't seen anything. Um, I'm just looking how far ahead have I got. Um, in Kaf Bet. Um, and that's when he's spending the night, that's when the angel, uh, the, he has the fight with the malach, which we won't talk about now because it's too mysterious to get into um, before we're ready. I'm just trying to work out if that's the same night. I don't think so because between the two, I'd have to check this, see if, what people say about this. Between the two, um, he speaks to the messengers and he sends the presents and gives them all detailed instructions. And then in Kafet, we, we sort of get a repetition of, um, what did I say? Um, okay, the answer to your question is, I don't know. Um, Rashi obviously doesn't see a need to explain. Um, I'm just wondering if maybe the, the, if it is the same as the night he spends in Cuthbert, then there's more to explain then. Although Russia doesn't actually say why he's spending the night there. Um, so I don't know, but maybe no, you do. No, actually, just answer the Radak, and he has quite a beautiful answer. Oh, thank you. Um, if I'm assuming correctly, he seems to say that he was waiting for an answer, and they did. So in the meantime, what he did, he went and got a mincha to do basically. Um, his part before getting the answer, and only once he did his part to try to appease his brother, does he come and get the good news. So, who is waiting for the answer to his tefillah? And but then doing his ishtadlut mm -hmm. in a way. And, ah, and then so he sent, sent, he doesn't get the answer, and he sends the mincha. And then we can bear the answer, like... And that's the red duck. Yeah. Okay, very nice. Thank you very much. But Rashi doesn't say anything. <laughs> okay, we will stop there.
And next week we'll handle this long and interesting um, and difficult to explain Rashi on Tetvov. But we'll see you then. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Thank you very much.